Hi, this is Dave Summers, and welcome to AMA Edgewise. Paul Hellman consults and speaks internationally on how to excel in high-stakes communications. His columns and advice have appeared in The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, The Washington Post, CNBC.com, The Boston Globe's online job doc column, and on Public Radio's Marketplace and CNN's Business Unusual. He's the author of a fascinating new book entitled You've Got Eight Seconds, Communication Secrets, for a Distracted World is published by Amicom, a division of the American Management Association. Paul, it's great to meet you, and welcome to AMA Edgewise. Thank you. Great to meet you, too. All right. I'm going to tell you in advance, this podcast is going to be slightly longer than eight seconds, so you know, I hope you have material prepared. Now, you talk in the book an awful lot about focused messages. What is the Paul Hellman definition of the word focus, and why does that matter now? The reason that that matters is that it's always been true with communication that it doesn't matter so much what you say as what do people hear. Really, what do people hear? And then from what they hear, what are they going to remember? And from what they hear and remember, what are they going to actually act on? In the world that we live in now, the critical problem, which is never going away for the rest of anybody's life, is there's just too much information and there's too little time. So you've got eight seconds, really, to capture attention and then hold it. If we're focused on not so much what am I saying, but what is the audience hearing, then that means that what we have to do, what I believe we have to do, is be the audience. So what does be the audience mean? It's not a hallmark greeting card. Be the audience means imagine that you're the listener. And I believe every audience in the world, whether you're talking to hundreds of people at work or whether you go home at the end of the day and you're talking to your significant other, every audience has three questions. To be the audience means to understand the three questions and answer them. And the three questions are are extremely simple. You can think of them like obstacles or like hurdles. So the first question is, why am I listening to you? I have a zillion thoughts. They're mostly about me, so they're extraordinarily interesting. Why well, am I listening to you? That's question number one. Question number two is, okay, I am listening. What exactly are you saying? Can you just net it out? And then question number three, assuming someone did listen and heard what you were saying, the third question is, what am I supposed to do with this information? So to focus a message means basically, to come prepared, whether you're writing an email, whether you're talking to your manager, whether you're delivering a full-blown presentation, to come prepared with the answers for those three questions. Excellent. Now, this issue of, of providing detail or speaking to detail with detail, is it worse to give too little or too much? You can get in trouble, of course, either way. However, if we're planned the odds. I'm going to say that at least nine times out of 10, the risk of giving too little detail is much, much less than giving too much. What I usually tell people is detail is like salt, meaning you can always add more. You can always put more salt in, but once it's in, you can't take it out. Now, it's true. There are exceptions. If you're a technical person, you're talking to a technical audience, they're going to have a hunger for you to dive deep. 
if you're the chief financial officer and you're doing the the quarterly financials and you're talking to a group of analysts, they really want, again, they want the detail, they want the salt. But for most people, most of the time, your audience, again, flooded with information, no time to process it. They want you to come in or to send an email that basically gives them the headline news. And further, let's say that they want more than the headline news. And, and you walk in and you say, here's the main thing. And they want more. What's going to happen? Well, what's going to happen is they're going to ask you questions. And now you're in a conversation. And the great thing about being in a conversation is the other person's going to be engaged. So you're going to have their attention. But if you walk in, let's say you walk into the CEO's office and you tell the CEO everything about everything, there's a good chance you're not going to be invited back. Mm -hmm. I think this harkens back to medieval times <laughs> where before the, the king or the ruler would walk into the room or something like that, there would be a, a herald who would play a trumpet and you know all that stuff sort of cascades over the centuries into there's a heroic overture or maybe not heroic, there's an overture before the drama starts or before the, the narrative proceeds. You know what I mean? And there's always that sort of big opening, exclamation mark, whatever. And, and maybe I'm, I'm using music as an analogy, but it doesn't have to be. I had a ninth grade algebra teacher named Mrs. Patakula. <laughs> and she would come in, yeah. and if the din in the classroom was slightly more than what she wanted, she would whack the top of her desk with some kind of metal ruler or something like that. And it was a piercing sound. And it wasn't because she was mean or yeah. angry. It was just that that was the overture. That was the exclamation mark to sort of pay attention. Do, do people have to do that type of thing? Do they have to sort of have that initial sort of spark or overture or s you slap to sort of get their attention? Or can you just roll into information? Well, let's say that we're talking about a presentation. And I think this applies to a lot more than that. But I think people will give you a couple of seconds. But they won't give you a whole lot more than a couple of seconds. And in those couple of seconds, what they're wondering is, is this worth listening to? Mm -hmm. And are you a credible messenger? So I think people often squander the first few seconds. I think that where I agree with what you're saying, although sure. I, I'm not sure I would come in and and hit the drum yeah. or bang people over. All right, the head let's use a different analogy. Like Baseball analogy: we put a man on base. You know what I mean? Get just make an early, like yeah. a quick win, or a, you know, check that off. You're an engaging presenter, of, yeah. or you know what I mean? I'll I'll listen to you, kind yes. of thing. Yeah. So absolutely. So people squander these first few seconds, and when I say they squander them, what happens is people, often the presenters that I work with, they want to look like everybody else. It's, it feels safer to look like everybody else. So let's say you're, you're presenting at a conference and there are hundreds of people in the audience and you're the fifth speaker that morning. And the first four speakers walked up on stage, stood behind a podium and read from their notes. Right. You're now speaker number five and they call you up. As you walk up on that stage, you will feel in your body a strong gravitational pull to go behind that podium, to do what the four preceding speakers did. But if you resist that gravitational pull and you just do a simple thing like move to the center of the stage, away from the podium, 
That one thing alone makes you slightly different. And slightly different makes you interesting. Because I think we're hardwired. And I'm sure there's evolutionary psychology behind this. We are hardwired as human beings to pay attention to things that are different. Mm -hmm. So the, the advice in the first few seconds is be slightly different. Right. Don't do anything that's career risky. Right. Just be slightly different. Right. Just, in, just enough to fall out of that groove. People will remember that you were the different one. People will remember that you were the different one. So typically what people do in a presentation is they completely squander the first few seconds. They'll stand up and they'll say, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for this opportunity. And then they'll tell you a little bit, I'm so-and-so, and this is my background, and it's kind of blah, 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 blah. But there's nothing in it for the audience, and there's no reason for them to be paying attention, and you haven't done anything at all that's different. If it's a presentation, there are a whole lot of things that you can do to open a presentation. Within seconds, you'll capture people's attention. And the other way that I sometimes talk about this is, if you're giving a presentation, the first few seconds are very much like the opening of a movie. Mm -hmm. And If you go to any movie these days, what movie directors have figured out is you got to just start the movie. Mm -hmm. And at some point during the movie, there'll be the credits. Right. And we'll figure out who who the actors are and and all that. And even the title of the movie. Sure. But but a good director will pull you right in. Right. My wife and I recently, we rented a, we were desperate one Saturday night, so we rented a, a 1950s movie. Sure. It was an African Queen with Humphrey Bogart. Oh, my Humphrey God. Humphrey Bogart Terrific. won a, Terrific. an Academy Award yeah. for this. Terrific movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. Except these days it's almost unwatchable. Sure. I don't know when the last time you saw it was. Yeah. But it's almost unwatchable because it's credit, 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 credit. Mm-hmm. It takes like forever for anything at all to happen for this movie to actually get rolling. Sure. You don't want to be, if you're presenting, you don't want to be a 1950s movie. Sure. Yeah, there's all this layers and layers, layers of exposition to get you to the point of sort of, okay, now the action can start. You know, now now that you've read the book, let's see the movie, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Well, let's talk about stories for a second. Now, stories can be very effective, but suppose a person who's listening to this program right now is not really a natural storyteller. They're uncomfortable telling stories. You know, where would they find a story to tell, one that might be relevant, and how could they craft it to make it their own and make it meaningful to their audience? Yeah, good. So the first thing about stories is we have to just say, what's a story? And in one word, a story is a problem. If there's no problem, you have no story. Now, when I tell that to business audiences, their first reaction is, no, that, that's not good because a problem sounds too negative. Well, yeah, the problem is negative, but the story is here's what happened with the problem, and the problem got resolved, and somebody learned something, and you might learn something. So a story is a problem, and that then points us to where do you look for stories? Now, I've never met anybody that has no problems. So another way of talking about problems is look for negative emotional experiences. So in other words, just think about your life, professional or personal, last couple of weeks, last couple of months, last couple of years. Think of a time that you were angered or frustrated or sad or nervous or stressed out. And these don't have to be huge things. And if you're crafting a story 
for a business audience, they probably shouldn't be huge, huge things. They can be little things. They can be medium-sized things. But you look for negative emotional experiences. And that points you in the direction of a problem. And then the story, to craft the story, I have something that I call the two-and-a-half-step method because mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of simplicity. So you can craft a story in two-and-a-half steps. Step one, you need an opening line that basically hooks us with whatever the problem is. And I, I can give you an example of all this if you'd like. Step two, you need a good last line that tells us the business-relevant point. Because this is not storytelling just to be amusing or to be a raconteur. This is storytelling to deliver a point. So you need a point. And then the half step is you need to get from the first line to the last line as quickly as you possibly can. Because the longer the story takes, the more risk that your audience is going to be impatient. And people will frequently clutter up stories with all sorts of extraneous and irrelevant details like For example, I often hear people tell stories and they start like this. Last Wednesday, no, no, wait a minute. Actually, I think it was Thursday. You know, it might have happened over the weekend. And we're sitting there as the audience going, I don't care when it happened, just what happened? So you want to be very economical. And this is for me, even if you never tell a story, it's great practice to craft a story because in crafting a story, The exercise will help you get better at first lines, last lines, and economy. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll give you, an, if you'd like, I can give you an example. Sure, go ahead. I was doing a workshop. There were over 100 people in it. And we're going through this two-and-a-half-step method. And so nobody gets to tell the whole story, but everybody works on, okay, what's my negative emotional experience? What's the problem? And then what would be my first line, last line? So I, I asked for volunteers. A man that I've never seen before raises his hand. I walk over. And he says, here's my first line. After only two days of marriage. Now, at that point, I said, stop for a second. So that, that's all we heard, after only two days of marriage. And I turned to the audience of, like, again, 100 people or so. I said, okay, this story that I don't, uh, I've never heard is going to go in one of two places. It's either going to go, after only two days of marriage, I was even more head over heels with my spouse than mm-hmm. I ever dreamt possible. <laughs> Or it's going down the other place. I made the biggest mistake <laughs> of my life. <laughs> and I asked the group, I said, so how many people are interested in the first version? Nobody. Right. How many people are interested? Everybody. Right. So then I go back. I say, okay, let's hear the rest of the first line. He goes, after only two days of marriage, I no longer recognize my spouse. Now, that's a great first yeah, line. There's yeah. no way that you're not going to listen to that sure. story. Now, this was, again, this was a workshop. And there was no time to hear the whole story. But I couldn't. I was so hooked. Yeah. I couldn't resist. I said, wait a minute. We can't hear the whole story. But I just want to know, is this one of these things where you find yourself in a bar one night, you have a little bit too much to drink, and the next thing you know, you're in Vegas with a strange woman and you're married, and then you wake up the next morning and he said, no, 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 we, we've known each other for 10 years. So anyway, that was his first line. His last line, and again, the last line is now where you're delivering a business-relevant point. His last line was, my point is, stick to the plan. Now, we didn't hear the middle, but basically, this story is using marriage to make an important point about commitment. Mm -hmm. 
So he could tell this story to a business audience and he could be unconcerned. Is this audience married, unmarried, divorced, whatever? It doesn't matter because he's using the analogy really of marriage to talk about commitment. And commitment, of course, is, is critical mm-hmm. in, in, if you're working at work. Absolutely. That's very clever. That's extremely cool. Now, in the case of doing these presentations, and invariably there might be some kind of Q&A at the end or something like that, what happens if somebody hits you with a a tough question or perhaps something you didn't prepare for or something like that? How do you handle those, those tough questions? Yeah, there are a lot of ways to handle tough questions. And so one thing that's really important is to realize you have options. That's important. So let's just talk about a couple options. So one option is you can ask a counter question. Sometimes what makes a tough question tough is that we don't really understand the question. And so if somebody asks a question and you're really unclear, it's helpful to say, can you say a little bit more about mm-hmm. that before you even try to answer sure. it? I was working with some research scientists once, and one of the scientists said, it'll often, ha- I'm, giving, I'm, I'm a scientist, I'm presenting to other scientists, often there'll be someone in the room who will ask me a question and I'm up in front thinking, why are you asking me about that when you've been doing 10 times as much research in that area as I have? And, and the person said, I can't help getting paranoid. I think they're trying to embarrass me or show me up. So the solution we came up with is, and this is again counter question, you could just say to that person, I'm so flattered that you're asking me about that because I know how much work you've been doing in this area. I'd love to hear your point of view. That's a counter question. So that's one thing you can do. A second thing you can do is you can refer the question back to the group at large. So somebody, somebody asks you a question, and you could say, that's a really intriguing question. What do we think about that? And then there are different forms of this, but one thing you can do is you can now kind of move off the stage to the edge you're not, you're not leaving town. You're just you're letting the group talk mm-hmm. about it. So kind of talk amongst yourselves. And, and what's nice about that is that then when you feel like that conversation is concluding, you then walk back into the middle take, and, take and you control. pick up the yeah. reins again. And, and a variation, of course, you could say, well, I'd like to hear some other opinions and then I'll chime in with my two cents. Sure. So you can ask a counter question. You can refer to, to the group at large. And the third thing, one of my favorite, favorite moves is you can defer the question. So the way that that sounds is, that's a really important question. I would like to do some thinking about that. I'd like to do some research on that. Would it be okay if I got back to you in the next 48 hours? Now, I can't imagine anybody in the audience in their right mind who's going to say, no, that wouldn't be okay. I need to hear the answer right this second. Now, what you've done there is you've said, I'm not going to pretend that I'm a serious person. I'm going to take your question seriously, and I'm going to make you a promise. Mm-hmm. And then if you, if, you, if you contact them in the next 40 hours, you're also saying, I'm somebody that when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. Sure. So you've actually enhanced your reputation. The reverse of all this is that somebody stands up and they feel like, I have to know everything about everything. Mm-hmm. Every question, I must know the answer. That creates a whole lot of anxiety. It then leads into the behavior called bluffing. And you actually erode your credibility. So, mm-hmm. you want to go back to the main point, you have options. I would say the largest contingent of folks who listen to this program are probably 
most likely they're new to management. They're new leaders. They're people who have been great individual contributors and all-star performers, and they've been given a team or they've been given a project to run. What's in this book for a new leader, for a new manager? Well, if you're saying, what advice would I give to somebody like that? There's a lot in this book. This book has three major strategies. I would guide people to the strategy called presence. In terms of simple advice that I would give to a new leader, because everybody goes through what you're describing, in one word, it would be listen. And if I can expand on that, there are three parts to listen. So listen to the people that you're leading. Listen to whoever's leading you, your manager. And then the third part is listen to yourself. So let me just say a bit about each. In terms of listening to the people that you're leading, one of my favorite examples here is a CEO, the former CEO of Amgen. This is a huge, comp- huge biotech company. And this is Kevin Shera. So Kevin Shera becomes the CEO of Biogen. He does an extraordinary thing. He dedicates 150 hours to asking questions. Think about that. 150 hours. You're the new CEO of a big company. Would you do that? 150 hours. He targets the top 150 leaders at Amgen. He invites each one for a private one-to-one conversation for an hour. 150 hours. And he asks just very simple questions. What do you want me to change? What don't you want me to change? Things like that. So I think listening to the people that you're leading sends an incredibly strong signal. So that, that's the first thing. And then, of course, listening to whoever your manager is who put you in this leadership position. What are they hoping you'll accomplish? What are they concerned with? And really understanding that. And then the third person you have to listen to is yourself. And by that I mean... That's an act of kindness to yourself as a new leader to give yourself the time and the patience to continuously evolve and develop into this leadership role. This is extremely cool stuff, Paul, and very relevant, especially today in the era of short attention spans. We've been speaking to Paul Hellman. He's author of the book, You've Got Eight Seconds, Communication Secrets for a Distracted World, published by Amacom, a division of the American Management Association. Paul, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Join the American Management Association group on LinkedIn to share insights with thousands of your management peers and to discuss practices in the areas of organizational management and leadership. To find us, simply search for the group American Management Association from your LinkedIn account. feedback very seriously here at the AMA. If you get a minute, you have some thoughts about this program or additional questions, just send an email to us at podcasts at amanet.org. 